Welcome to Engaging the Experts, a series of interviews with pharmacy practitioners and educators on cutting-edge topics. In this Engaging the Experts interview, William Zelmer talks with Christine Walco and R. Donald Harvey regarding new and emerging strategies for the treatment of advanced melanoma. This installment is produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Merck. It is available at www.cemidday.com or via iTunes as a podcast. This is William Zelmer for the ASHB program, Engaging the Experts, a series of interviews with pharmacy practitioners and educators on cutting-edge topics. This installment, which is entitled New and Emerging Strategies for the Treatment of Advanced Melanoma, was planned and conducted by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Merck. I'm speaking with Christine M. Walco and R. Donald Harvey, who presented a session on this topic at the 2014 ASHP Major Clinical Meeting. Their presentation is now available as a continuing education program. Dr. Christine M. Walco is Clinical Pharmacogenomics Scientist and Co-Chair, Clinical Genomic Action Committee at the DiBartolo Family Personalized Medicine Institute within the Division of Population Science at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. Dr. R. Donald Harvey is Associate Professor, Hematology, Medical Oncology, and Director, Phase One Clinical Trial Section, Winship Cancer Institute of Emory University, Atlanta, Georgia. Chris, let's start this conversation by having you review the epidemiology of the disease. And if you would please include in your comments the risk factors for developing melanoma. Melanoma represents a minority of all the skin cancers that are diagnosed every year. However, what makes it so important is because it's responsible for 80% of all skin cancer deaths. It really is the most feared type of skin cancer. More so, it is actually the most deadly cancer that's seen in young women ages 20 to 30, due in large part to the risk factors. UV radiation, especially like tanning beds, man, the fact that their use is increasing is affecting the incidence of the disease. The total sun exposure that a person gets in their lifetime, that's related to the rates, but actually having intermittent severe sunburns is more of a risk factor than people who get kind of a, a low level of exposure on an ongoing basis. But any type of outdoor lifestyle that exposes the skin to the harmful rays does increase the risk. And really, it's because melanoma is the result of a rapid proliferation of these abnormal melanocytes that's due to unrepaired DNA damage. And that DNA damage happens because of these external factors and environmental factors. Other risk factors include age and male gender, but one other one that I'll highlight because it gets into some of the therapies is immunosuppression. We know that the immune system can keep some melanomas in check, and patients who are immunosuppressed uh, actually have an increased risk of developing many cancers, but including melanoma. Donald, in listening to this educational program, one gets the impression that the treatment of advanced melanoma is a very dynamic field with a lot of exciting research and promising new agents that offer the potential for a substantially higher rate of cure of advanced melanoma than is achieved with older treatment. Is that an accurate observation? Yeah, Bill, it is. It's really been a new era in the thought around advanced melanoma, and a lot of the therapies that we have now are secondary to good genetic testing and understanding of the molecular biology and more specifics around how melanoma grows. 
but also understanding how the immune system works and how cancer can, over time, evade the immune system from surveillance. And so we've built on observations and experiences of drugs like uh, high-dose IL-2 and interferon and really built on those with new drugs that help to upregulate the immune system to use T-cells to go after the cancer itself. And so it's really been a really exciting time overall for the treatment of advanced melanoma. We certainly have work to do to improve the outcomes, but our outcomes today are much better than they were even two years ago and continue to get better with each new drug and new approach that's used. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, what are the broad categories of new treatments for advanced melanoma that are receiving attention today, and what are the specific agents in each category? I think of breaking the drugs really into two different categories. The first, thinking about the novel immunotherapies, as uh, Donald alluded to, uh, we've had three new immunotherapies that have been FDA-approved since 2011, building on the success but also acknowledging the limitations of high-dose IL-2. We now have the cytotoxic T-lymphocyte antigen 4 or CTLA-4 inhibitor, ipilimumab, which was approved back in 2011. And just recently, um, in the fall of this past year, and actually in December, the second uh, agent got approved, we have pembrolizumab and nivolumab, which are the first program cell death protein receptor inhibitors or PD-1 inhibitors that are really going to be in the spotlight in the upcoming years, not just in melanoma, but in many other cancers. On the other side, we have the targeted therapies, the oral tyrosine kinase inhibitors that target the BRAF mutation and target the BRAF pathway. So Vemurofenib and Vibrofenib are both BRAF inhibitors. And then we also have a MEK inhibitor that is another targeted agent that works in the same pathway, but works a little bit further down the pathway. And it's been shown that the combination of a BRAF and a MEK kind of doing a vertical blockade in that pathway has given some very good response rates. Donald, do you have anything to add on this point? Yeah, as Chris mentioned, the broad categories, there are drugs that will continue to come out, new additions to each category of both the tyrosine kinase inhibitors as well as uh, PD-1 and CTLA-4 antagonists to upregulate the immune system. So it's been really a a golden age for new drugs in in melanoma, and I think that trend will continue. You might just uh, extend your comments a bit, Donald, uh, on this point. Are these newer agents mostly monotherapies or are some used in combination? It's a great question, Bill. Certainly, when you look, again, specifically within each category, whether it's the tyrosine kinase inhibitors or the immunotherapies, as Chris mentioned, the tyrosine kinase inhibitors are used in combination, whether BRAF plus MEK inhibitors to to improve mostly safety profiles of BRAF inhibition, but also we're starting to see more and more information on combining PD-1 antagonists with other immune therapies like CTLA-4 antagonism. Those can certainly be uh, very impressive in early phase clinical trial data when you look at the information that's provided there, but they can also come with more side effects and that's true of really any combination in cancer. And uh, we've been unable so far successfully to combine some of the immunotherapies with the small molecule inhibitors due to some side effects of hepatotoxicity and and others. But I think overall, there will be a desire to try to put these drugs together and whether it's sequencing them or giving them concurrently, we may have some challenges along the way, but our goal overall is to try to improve outcomes and disease response while making sure that we uh, minimize side effects as well. And so Uh, monotherapy responses are quite promising and we build on those, but uh, I think overall we're going to get further uh, in general with combination strategies. 
Chris, could you give us uh, a more specific sense of the response rate that has been experienced with these new therapies? So whenever we think about the immunotherapies, old-fashioned high-dose IL-2, we usually saw a response in about 7 to 10% of patients. However, the benefit of those therapies is that if you achieved a response, it was likely durable. And that's what we've seen with the current immunotherapies or the novel immunotherapies. With ipilimumab, about 20% of patients will have a response. But again, if you have that response, the durability of the response for a long period of time is very good. Because of the novelness of these agents, not all the data is actually mature yet, so we don't have extremely long survival data. But so far, it's given us the indication that it is definitely going in the right direction. With the PD-1 inhibitors, generally about 40 to 50% of patients will have some level of response with them. And the one-year overall survival is about 60 to 80%. Putting together the combination of ipilimumab and the PD-1 inhibitor, they actually saw 65% clinical activity rate. And so that's what we're trying to build on. But again, if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curve, it's that nice long tail that we're getting that people who respond keep that response, which is good. Contrasting that with the targeted therapies, bemurofenib and sabrofenib, we see a good response early on, but unfortunately, patients usually relapse after about five or six months. That The estimated uh, progression-free survival with bemurofenib is usually about five or six months. And overall survival at six months is very good at 84%, but again, we really need to get more novel therapies and really understand the resistance pathways of these agents so that we can optimize these responses. Donald, you alluded to the toxicity issue a moment ago. Could you just elaborate on that regarding the toxicities associated with these newer therapies? Yeah, I'll focus on the immunotherapies. So when you look at PD-1 antagonism and CTLA-4 antagonism, when those drugs are given, they tend to upregulate T cells. And so while that's very helpful for anti-cancer responses, it can also cause systemic side effects, including things like pretty bad diarrhea in some patients who can certainly require steroids if it's very advanced diarrhea and quite severe. These drugs can cause some liver damage as well, uh, which generally is not associated with symptoms, but with lab changes. Uh, And then there can also be some kidney effects and some effects on the lungs more rarely, some on the skin as well in terms of rash. And so upregulating T-cells is sort of a fine balance. We want to get them to a point where they'll go after cancer cells, but then we also have to carefully monitor patients for some potential adverse outcomes associated with more T-cells and greater activity of those T-cells. Chris, could you please comment on the role of pharmacists on patient care teams that are treating patients with advanced melanoma and who are receiving these newer agents? Well, I think building on the toxicities that Donald just talked about and to add that the the targeted therapies too, every time we get a new drug, we get uh, new toxicities that we have to manage and the targeted therapies are are no different. They have some pretty different skin toxicities that that we have to be aware of. And when you give a combination of the RAF and a MEK inhibitor, you also get severe fever in a percentage of patients. Uh, Warning patients about dehydration is really important. But I think having practiced as a pharmacist on one of these patient care teams, 
my biggest role was really in patient education, but also physician education because of the novelty of the drug, the uniqueness of some of these side effects, really trying to figure out ways of treating the skin toxicity or making sure that the patient is aware of all of these autoimmune side effects. And as soon as they see any changes, if they go from having one stool to three stools a day, we need to know about that and really emphasizing that with them is important. Additionally, the cost of the medications is something to be considered and making sure that we can obtain the drugs. And so working closely with our pharmacy benefits groups who help with obtaining the drugs for the patients and making it an affordable option for them is also really important. Donald, given the fact that this is such a dynamic area of research, uh, what can you say about additional advances in treatments for advanced melanoma that we can anticipate over the next few years? As we think about melanoma, uh, the drugs we've talked about in this conversation are, are certainly going to continue to grow and how they're used and where they're used and potentially combination strategies will evolve as well. New drugs within each class will likely come to the market, but then additional immunotherapies are, are looking promising early on. Um, some of the pathways appear to be helpful when inhibited or uh, pathway of OX40, for example, and other ways to upregulate T-cells. Certainly things like chimeric antigen receptor T-cells as well also look promising early on and as platforms for better therapies. As we look at the treatment of melanoma, we're going to move more and more away from conventional chemotherapy drugs, for example, decarbazine and carboplatin and paclitaxel. Those are drugs that we'll probably start to see less and less of as we look at better and improved ways to either upregulate the immune system or impair a genetic defect within the melanoma cell. I just wanted to add to what Donald had said that I think my area of practice is really an individualized therapy and one very powerful thing that, that we need and that will really help us with using these drugs better is identifying biomarkers to decide who is going to respond the best to different types of immunotherapy. We know that patients who have the BRAF mutation are more likely to respond to the BRAF inhibitor inhibiting agents, but there's a lot more than just BRAF out there too. And as we get more into uh, tumor profiling and really understanding the story behind each person's tumor, we will hopefully be able to target therapy better to each individual, be it immunotherapy or different targeted therapy based on the genetic mutations. Well, in drawing our conversation to a close, I'd like to ask each of you for any comments you have on uh, the insights into melanoma therapy that the pharmacist can expect to obtain by participating in your full web-based CE program. Chris, would you like to start with that, please? Sure. You don't have to be in oncology to appreciate these new agents. The PD-1 inhibitors are going to be something that are not just seen in oncology. And really, just every time you see all these new drugs coming out, it's really an exciting time to be working in melanoma. And what we're learning in the example of melanoma can be applied to other cancers, but also other um, disease states, especially those that are related to dysregulation of, of the immune system. I am really excited about PD-1 and especially hope that others will, will share that excitement and um, will be able to walk away with a greater understanding of this novel agent. Donald, what would you add? I think pharmacists who would participate in this will get a lot of background and understanding of the disease itself and come away with a lot more appreciation of the effectiveness of these drugs and how far we've come uh, over the last short, relatively short period of time. And then finally, I think a big part is for pharmacists in general is to think about what we might be able to do and what 
patient can do themselves to ensure that we manage the side effects uh, around the drugs that we give for advanced melanoma. And I think as, as participants in, in this educational course that hopefully all pharmacists would gather each of those items. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Christine Walkel and Dr. R. Donald Harvey, thank you very much for taking time to have this conversation with me and encouraging pharmacists and others to participate in your full CE program on treating advanced melanoma. Thanks much. That concludes this installment of Engaging the Experts. For more information on this topic, including an archived version of the Mid-Year Clinical Meeting Session, visit www.cemidday.com.